Well, church, we are in the last Sunday of our summer message series, Psalms uh, for Summer. And we're going to be in Psalm 40 today, so I want to make a Bible available to you. If you did not come with the Bible today, um, we'll have a couple of volunteers who will just uh, walk the aisle there. And if you need a Bible, just give them a wave. And we're going to read Psalm 40 in just a moment. Uh, as you do that, I just want to kind of give you an advance uh, promo for a series um, coming up. Uh, we're going to start next week. I'm really excited about in Second Timothy. Uh, we're calling this series Nothing to Lose, Living a Life that Matters. And uh, I, I'm just looking forward to, the, to, uh, to just digging into what the Apostle Paul wrote to his young charge, young pastor friend, uh, uh, Timothy. So we're going to dig into that from starting next week, and we'll be in Second Timothy all the way until November. So um, those of you who are not fast readers, no problem. That book's only four chapters long, and I'm giving you three months to get through it. So uh, we'll just take our time and, and see what the Lord has for us. So that starts next week. I want to thank um, Logan Willems for doing that artwork for us on that. If you've found Psalm 40, I'd like you to stand together for the reading of God's Word. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible, maybe slightly to the left. And 40 is the big number, and we're going to start right at the, the beginning. This is a psalm of David. So it's the writing of the psalm is attributed to King David. Psalm 40, starting verse 1 in the New Living Translation. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and the mire. And He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I have come, as is written about me in the Scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Let me jump out of that just for a moment just to explain, because that might be a little bit confusing when he says you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Well, the, the law actually requires sacrifices and offerings. So why is he saying that? What does that, what does that mean? If you jump later on to this afternoon, you can read it. Hebrews chapter 10 explains that this psalm is actually what we call a messianic psalm. That means it's a psalm about the Messiah. It's a prediction or a foretelling of what the Messiah is going to teach and what the Messiah is going to be. And that Jesus replaces the sacrifices and the practice of the law and, and, and the offerings with himself. And that's why he, he's saying, he actually takes on the voice of the Messiah as he says, Look, I have come, as is written about me in the scriptures. So that's, that's kind of projecting forward. Let's continue at verse 9. I have told all your people 
about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, verse 11, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha! Now we've got them. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in His thoughts. You are my helper and my Savior. Oh my God, do not delay. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. I want to take you back to the opening of this psalm where David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. Life has many um, opportunities to wait and to wait patiently, doesn't it? You know, when traveling, for example, you're given many occasions to patiently wait. A week and a half ago, I traveled to Denver for denominational meetings and I I waited at TSA security in Fresno, and then I waited at the gate to board, and I waited in the plane uh, while the flight attendant showed us how to buckle and unbuckle a seatbelt. That was new. Uh, I, waited, uh, I waited to get my coffee and delightful bag of pretzels. I could barely finish them all. Um, and then after we landed, uh, I waited to get off the plane, and then I waited to get my carry-on bags, bag that I couldn't carry on. And I waited for the shuttle to take me to the rental car place. And I waited at the rental car desk for a long time. And then in Denver's rush hour, I waited for traffic to move. And I also, of course, waited at the hotel to check in. I waited at the elevator to go up to my room. And finally, I waited for the meetings to start. (sighs) That's a lot of waiting. And I confess, I was not patient at every opportunity as we waited. Uh, who of us hasn't experienced the frustration of waiting? It's one thing to wait in airports or in traffic or, or even to wait on a person that was, you know, supposed to make a phone call to you or what. But what about waiting for answers from God when you're facing a health crisis or a broken relationship or a financial loss or a workplace betrayal? King David wrote Psalm 40 in a situation unknown to us. We do not know what he was facing at the time. But we know that it's a situation familiar to all of us. To have to wait when we have no choice but to cry out to God for his help. We're going to just stay with the first three verses of of the psalm today, even though we read the whole thing. But I'm just going to stay on verses 1, 2, and 3. and these, song, these verses are the basis uh, of, a, of a song by the band U2. And we talked about the band U2 a couple weeks ago. And um, their song's called 40. And it's, it's based on this psalm. And I don't know if they still do this, but for years and years and years, they've always ended their concerts with this song. It's pretty simple. And the, the crowd just sings it with them. In fact, kind of for them. 
I first saw you two in, uh, man, I was in Bible college. It was 1987, and it was at the BC Place Stadium in Vancouver. There's 50,000 people. And there's something about 50,000 people singing from the Bible that's pretty astounding. So here's just a, a minute video, a minute and a half video, um, again, from that Fuller Seminary documentary about Bono and Eugene Peterson. You're not going to see Bono, but you're going to hear him, and you're going to see Eugene Peterson, translator of the Message Bible. I don't know if you caught what Eugene Peterson said there of Psalm 40 and of U2's version of it, that it reaches into the hurt and disappointment and difficulty of being human. Stuff we all feel, but many of us don't talk about. Now, I don't want to overdo the navel-gazing here, but integrity requires honesty about the hurts of life as well as the joys. All of which David gets to. See, this is one of the problems we're facing right now with social media. You go on Facebook and everybody posts the best of their life. Look at all these people. They're all having a good time. And I'm stuck at home or I'm going through a hard time. And you don't realize that everybody is. The Psalms is not Facebook. It's real stuff. You see, joy is awesome, but... I'm sure at some time you've been left wondering what's really going on here or why you've been let down or betrayed or not healed or ignored or bullied or mistreated in some way. Perhaps you've battled addiction or loneliness or dark jealousy or selfish rebellion. And in this psalm, King David speaks to all of those things and exactly those things. The the highly successful, highly celebrated, creative, godly, gifted King David Right, Israel's greatest king of 3,000 years ago. He's bearing his soul and he's crying out to God. And now he guides us in how to do that too. Because when you bear your soul, it is somewhat important how you do that and to whom you do that. David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. Or as Bono read from the message, I waited and waited And waited for God. At last, he looked. Finally, he listened. Why the waiting? What is it with waiting? Why why can't God just come through right away? Just like that. Right? If God's so loving, which we, which we talk about and we sing about, and your love never fails, and you're so faithful, God, and we, then why suffer at all? Why not just fix it immediately? Why drag us through the waiting? I, I don't presume to fully understand why, but I do know that there's value, somehow, there's value in hardship. And there's growth in the waiting. There's, see, if everything was easy and smooth and carefree, I might easily forget God altogether. Ever gotten to that place where everything's going fine and you realize, boy, I haven't even talked to God for a while. The value of suffering, though, isn't just for me, but it's also for others who are crying out to God on my behalf or others who are helping me or others in some way experiencing and leading to the glory of God. God is somehow made great in our suffering, potentially. As David says in verse 3, many will see what he has done and be amazed. They'll put their trust in the Lord. There's a story that comes to mind from the New Testament 
And uh, it's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. Let me read that for you. Because it's a story of a woman who cried out to God and Jesus turned and listened. Mark chapter 5 starts at verse 25. It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them and she just got no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse and she'd heard about Jesus so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed in her terrible, of her terrible condition. In verse 30, he says, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my robe? Well, his disciples said, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, etc., the the story continues. That's amazing. This woman, she waited, just like King David did for the Lord. And Jesus turned to her and heard her cry and responded to her. And as a result, many, many even today have seen and trusted God as a result. But she had to suffer for 12 years for that to happen. We would not know her story at all if on the third day of her ailment, Jesus had said, oh, let me heal that for you. We wouldn't know anything about it. And we wouldn't be giving praise to God as a result. That's hard for us to understand. So whether it's today or or someday to come, you may find yourself in a pit in life's mud and mire, as we read about in Psalm 40. It might be overwhelming debt or addiction or sickness or a broken marriage or a betrayal of some kind. And you won't be able to rescue yourself. You can't pull yourself up out of the mud. And, and your job or your counselor or your spouse or your doctor, they won't be able to solve it for you either. But God turns toward those who wait patiently and cry out to Him. That's the promise. That's what David discovered. I'm going to show you a little picture here. This is my two boys from about 15 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, aren't they adorable? <laughs> so we had just moved into a new house, and uh, there was no backyard yet, and it was raining like crazy. And guess what happens with an unfinished yard and rain? You get a boy's favorite thing, mud. And my two boys were out tromping around in the mud. And you see Alex standing there on the left. He's stuck. And what you see right in front of Alex's are Stuart's boots. Stuart somehow just managed to just leave his... I don't know if we reached over... Oh, Mom went over, reached him, and just pulled him up, and his boots stayed, and he came out. And Alex uh, was just there loving the mud, but he was also stuck. I don't know how we got him out. Oh, she got him out, too. <laughs> but she did stop to take a picture, thankfully, in between. Ah... Oh. King David said, he lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Here's the question I want to ask you. Will you, or, or maybe my grammar's not right in this question, but will you or are you waiting 
patiently for the Lord. Three things. Waiting. Patiently. For the Lord. It's a learned discipline. Some won't wait. Right? They'll just keep clawing away at the mud. And just trying to get themselves out of that slimy pit. We've all done that too. We quickly jumped into a new relationship or a new financial hole. Or we went back to an old habit. Whatever it is, nothing gets fixed in that way when we try to fix it ourselves, try to climb out of that hole. Or some will wait, but not patiently. That was me last Sunday morning early when I was trying to get back here for church, waiting in that TSA line in the airport in Denver. Waiting, but complaining to fellow passengers. Oh, I can't believe this. Oh, right? Well, maybe you're complaining to your friends or to God about your troubles That's really not waiting on God, is it? It's not developing a posture of listening and seeking Him. Now, some will wait. Some will wait patiently, but not for the Lord. They just kill time and keep themselves distracted with whatever, entertainment of some kind. That's more like apathy than patience. And when you wait on God, it means you are actively seeking him. David, however, waited patiently for the Lord. But that doesn't mean he did nothing at all. In that waiting, he cried out, it says. He says, I cried out. He heard my cry. So he was crying out to God. Waiting is not passive. It's not nothing. Waiting is active, seeking, as you patiently wait. What happens when we cry out to God? Perhaps all you hear is silence at first. God, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you questions, I'm seeking you, I'm hearing nothing, God. But if we're paying attention in those moments, well, here's something that happens. Life gets simplified. Life gets simplified. Maybe we come to terms with the fact that, man, all the stuff I thought I needed to have, I actually don't need so much. Maybe we come to terms of the fact that we've actually counted on things like money or, or approval or pleasure or comfort that we've really needed those. We've kind of insulated ourselves even from being able to hear from God. And in that waiting, we begin to strip away all those things. You know that person, I, I have met these, they, they're going through trouble and they seek and seek help from all that and advice and, and talking to all their friends and spreading their troubles around, but never stopping to peel all that away and say, God, I'm coming to you because I need to hear from you. The anguish of waiting helps me realize that I may actually have ignored important priorities or ignored loved ones or ignored the poor or ignored my neighbor's needs. We're better for the waiting, even though it's hard to wait. Maybe we find that we've been proud or self-sufficient. That was my story years ago in a, in a difficult time. I was pretty successful at what I was doing. And, and then the people closest to me, I, in my perception at least, seemed to, to turn on me. And it was, it was a time of betrayal and it was painful. And I cried out to God, but I blamed other people. Only to discover that I myself had been seeking Man's approval, people's approval, rather than God's favor. 
God didn't answer right away because I needed to be exposed for my insecurities and my failures. Only then, when I could say, oh, wait a second, I'm part of the problem. Only then did God turn to me and rescue me and lift me up out of the pit and put my feet on solid ground so my footsteps could be sure. My question, are you waiting patiently for the Lord? By the way, there's another good reason for patience as a sidebar here. At times I've asked, well, why do we have to be patient? It's because I'm created in the image of God and God is patient. God has been patient with me and God has been patient with you. Second Peter 3.15 says to remember this, that our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. God is patient. God's patient with the people in your life. Those people you're praying for, those loved ones, that neighbor, that co-worker, that distant relative, those people you're praying for and asking God for their salvation, God's even more patient than you are. And He loves them more than you ever could. That's the God we worship and serve. So God is patient. First Timothy 2.4 says it this way, that God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Well, if that's the case, that implies if God wants that, means not everybody is yet, but it's His desire. And that's why He's patiently waiting for more to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. God wants that to happen, so He is patient. And He puts up with a lot of hate and rejection, all because of His great love. You're made in the image of God. That's one of the reasons why we have to learn to wait. Because God waits. Verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard my cry. And he lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. These few verses actually are the gospel, the good news message of salvation that's throughout the entire Bible. The message of Jesus is right here in Psalm 40, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's it's this, four things. That I need rescue from my sin. I need a rescue from my sin. And that I call, then I call on God, and that's in my surrender. I'm calling on God. That's it. I can't do this. I can't fix it. I can't save myself. I can't call myself out of my own pit. I, I surrender, God. And three... That God rescues me. This is the gospel. I need rescue. I call on God and God rescues me. But how does he do that? By trying hard, by being a good person, by putting money in the offering plate, by going to church, by, by, by going and volunteering at the rescue mission. No, by my faith, by my trust in Jesus. That's how I'm saved. And number four, I then tell others by my witness. That's the message of the gospel. I need a rescue. I call on God. God rescues me and I tell others. David gets it. He's, he's, this is, thousand years before Jesus. He knows it. He gets it. He understands. That's why he then goes on to say, wait a second, you didn't actually require offerings and sacrifices. No, God requires faith. That new song David talks about is a metaphor for a new outlook, a new perspective in life. But it's not your song or my song. It's not a made-up song. It's a song that he says God has given me. He has given me a new song to sing. And that U2 song, I will sing, sing a new song. God's placed that hymn of praise in your mouth. But the old song, the old song is easy. The old song's familiar. We know every verse by heart and we love that melody of the old song. 
I don't know what your old song is. Maybe it's complaining or glorifying the past or a return to sin. Maybe, maybe your old song is refusing to forgive someone who's hurt you. Maybe your old song is, whatever it is, it's an awful tune and it hurts your ears and our ears and you need to stop singing an old song. My question to you is this. What song are you singing? David says, you put a new song in my mouth. Okay. If you're saved, God's put a new song in your mouth. Are you singing the new song? A song of praise to God? Are you singing a song of, uh, of rescue or hope or how God's provided for you or his comfort or his peace in difficult times? Is it about how he's, he's actually given you more than what you've earned? Is it a song about how he's blessed you with an education and friends and with people to love, that's a good new song. What new song, what song of praise has God put in your mouth? And are you singing it? What song are you singing? I, I, I've told you before about a foster brother I had. His name was Herman. Herman was a polio um, sufferer, polio victim, polio survivor. I'm not really sure what the term is. But Herman walked with a big limp because he was like really off. Off One leg was short and the other one wasn't. And... And, and as, it, as I was a kid, I was maybe 10, I don't remember, but I, I remember we prayed for Herman in, in our kitchen, and we prayed for Herman, and I physically, with my eyes, I saw him healed in front of me. Physically healed, so that he didn't need his lift shoe and his leg brace. It's a pretty exciting moment. I mean, you don't forget that kind of stuff. And the very next day, Herman was limping again, and my mom said, Herman, what, what happened? And, he said, I, I, I got more attention when I was limping. I asked God to make it, put me back the way I was. The old song was easier to sing than the new song. The new song that said God healed me wasn't a song he was ready to sing. What about you? What song do you sing? David says it's a hymn of praise to God. Is, is your life a hymn of praise to God? Is it a... Or maybe it's an ode to hardship, or a ballad of misery, or a song of selfishness, or a poem of pride. What song are you singing? Why not sing a song of praise? Why not sing about how God has, has provided strength to get you through some hard times? Or how He's supplied what you needed at just the right moment? How He's, how he's given you a good friend, or, or a good home, or a great job, or... Most of all, his good salvation. We can be people who sing new songs. Loud, noisy, joyful songs. You know the problem of when you sing a new song? You're generally not very good at it at first. Right? You stumble on the words. You don't get the tune right. People are like, oh, you're singing it wrong. That's, that's kind of the problem with new songs. So that's why we tend to go back to the old songs because we know them so well. Even what we, what we were in last week, we were in Psalm 33. Sing a new song to the Lord. Play skillfully, he does say. Psalm 50 says, make a joyful noise. Living out loud because of what God has done. That's what it's about, singing a new song. New songs are fun. They're exciting. They're fresh. But they're a little uncomfortable. Because we don't know them very well yet. If you've walked with Jesus for seven days or 77 years, you're called to sing your new song. Why? Why? So that many will see what God has done and put their trust in Him. There's actually a purpose to the song. It's not to glorify you. It's to glorify God. Let me tell you one more little story. 
I'm so happy about this story because every pastor is supposed to have a story about a faith conversation they had on an airplane. And everybody nowadays wears earbuds, and so you can't talk to anybody on planes. So people like me, who are kind of annoying and talk too much, we're really in a hard spot. So um, last week when I was flying to Denver, I happened to sit with um, a, a pilot. He was in uniform, and he was finishing his series of trips and flying back to, um, to Denver where he lives. Young guy, early 30s, probably been with his, his wife for several years. They had a two-year-old child, and... and um, we, uh, I just said, hey, um, do you, you know, he asked what I did, and I told him, and I said, what about you? Do you have any religious church connection, anything like that at all? And he goes, no, a little, little bit of Lutheran growing up, but nothing really. Is my wife even less? I said, so you're part of this new category we call today the nuns. You're not, you're not hostile to Christianity. You're not antagonistic toward God. You're not, probably not an atheist. He goes, no, I'm not an atheist. I said, but you have no religious affiliation. You have, when the census comes out and it asks her what your religious affiliation, you say none. He goes, yeah. I said, you're the fastest growing segment in America. You're the nuns. He said, oh. I said, so tell me this. Where, just if I can be so bold, where do nuns go when you have some spiritual curiosity or question or you're interested or you want to know something? And he said, I don't, I don't have that. So you, you, you're not, Really even wondering about stuff? No, we never talked about it. I said, well, probably when your kid's about four or five years old, you're going to start asking some questions about where God is. And uh, I said, you might find yourself going back to church. He said, yeah, maybe. And I left it at that. And then it wasn't long later, he turned the conversation around and started asking me questions. And it was pretty fun. And, and his big thing was, he said, well, I, I, I'm in hotel rooms and I read Bibles that are in hotel rooms. And he said, what's up with the laws and what's up with slavery and what's up? And he started asking me questions about laws and legalism and, and trying hard and doing a good person. And what really kind of came to the place of him saying, I, I think as long as you're just a good person and do right, it should be okay. I was able to say, you know what, I... I I didn't say this phrase, but I mean, my new song for him was, I used to think that if song, you, you just have to try harder. So my new song is that it's not by your effort that God is pleased. It's by your trust in Him. It's by your faith. I drew little sketches on a piece of paper and made notes and gave my phone number. And He didn't seem to mind too much. He didn't put his earbuds in halfway through the conversation, so that's a good sign. But I, I realized that I had a new song to sing, that my song was a song of faith, that I trust God to save me, not because I'm, I'm good, but because He's good. Friend, you have a song. You have a new song to sing. And maybe you've had that song for so long, and you're not even sure if your voice works anymore. Or, or, or you're, you think, yeah, I, just, I, just, I, I, I don't think I know how to articulate it. And trust me, the only reason I had that conversation with, his name is Stuart, is because I've been praying and asking God to give me opportunities to talk to people. And little by little, it's been happening. You've got to ask, God, would you give me an opportunity to sing my song and then help me sing it? We're baptizing those four young people you heard share their testimony today. Isn't that awesome? Encouraging? They're all saying, I want to sing my new song. Church, you and I are going to help them sing that. 
Sometimes they're going to trip up and stumble or get the notes wrong, and we're going to not discourage them. We're going to encourage them to keep going and keep trying. We're giving them opportunities to try stuff and serve and lead and, 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 and figure it out along the way. We're going to, when you see them today, you're going to give them a hug and say, I'm so proud of you. It's awesome. Way to go. It's going to help them sing their new song. And you and I, we're going to sing our new songs too. Let's close in prayer. Let's stand together as we do that. Lord Jesus, we, um, we just want to say we praise you today. And I thank you that um, you are the rescuer. You're the rescuing God and that we get ourselves into mud pits all the time. And you say... I, I will turn to you and rescue you. Just call on me. And Lord, we just say today, we want to learn how to call on you better, to wait patiently better. And that as you rescue us, as you pull us up out of the mud to sing the new song that you've given us to sing. Lord, I confess sometimes we just go back to an old song because it's the one we know. And You're calling us to sing a new song. God, would you help us to do that? With our whole heart. With our whole heart. And church, my, my just challenge to you this week, if you already know Jesus, that this week you'd be saying, God, would you, would you give me an opportunity to sing my song somewhere today so that others will, will hear and be amazed and put their trust in God? And if you don't know Jesus yet, I'm, I'm just urging you to talk to somebody today. Like those four kids that gave their testimony. You could talk to one of them, or you could talk to me, or someone in their prayer station. Talk to somebody say, I'm ready. I want, to, I want to start singing a new song. I want to give my life to Jesus today. That could be you. But you've got to, it's up to you to make that decision. We're grateful to all that the Lord has done for us. We give Him our praise. In the name of Jesus. Amen.